Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian Rank Tech Association's podcast. This episode is part of the Founders Series, where we'll invite the founders of some of the most innovative, high-growth companies operating in the RegTech space and hear about their vision and some of the opportunities and challenges faced on their journey to grow their business. My name is Myra Milliardaire, and I'll be your host today. By way of background, I'm a partner at Miller Thompson and have significant experience supporting companies operating in the technology, media, and telecommunications sector. I advise on domestic and cross-border mergers and acquisitions, private equity, venture capital financing, and corporate finance. I regularly counsel companies utilizing cutting-edge technologies, including artificial intelligence, fintech, regtech, and blockchain. For those of you who don't know, the Canadian RegTech Association, we are a not-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key stakeholders, including regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. So joining me for today's episode is Tolga Kurt. Tolga, following a PhD degree in electrical engineering from the University of Ottawa, and about a decade in the telecommunication industry, has founded two startups in the fintech and regtech domain. Through these companies, he's led teams building software solutions in 10 different countries around the globe and is a recipient of various entrepreneurship awards, including MIT Tech's Review 35 Under 35. His most recent venture, H3M, develops AI-based AML software for financial institutions. By using this active learning technology, H3M provides a unique perspective on combining the power of AI with expert know-how. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, it's uh, it's it's great to chat with you. I know the audience has heard a bit about the company from myself. Um, maybe you can briefly tell us about the company and the services you offer. Sure. So uh, H3M, uh, H3M stands for Helping Humans Help Machines. It usually looks like the other way around, but uh, we are trying to build a bridge in between the human expertise and the artificial intelligence in the area of compliance. So uh, it's a little bit fancy way of saying we do AI-based compliance software in transaction monitoring and uh, sanction screening. But what we actually do is, uh, unlike the traditional approaches, we are focusing on uh, how to build better models, not by just looking at the past decisions, but build smarter models together with the AML experts. So uh, we have built uh, three main uh, software products in our Croton uh, product line. Uh, Sanction Miner looks uh, in a fresh perspective for sanction screening utilizing AI technologies. And there's the transaction monitoring solution, which is the um, suspect miner. And also there's a network analysis solution, link miner, which we do believe uh, have the perfect means to uh, have to detect suspicious activity in a much more effective manner. And uh, I hope to discuss what we mean by effective and how we do it throughout this conversation. Oh, that's interesting. No, it's, it's always interesting to hear when people approach 
uh, common issues in another direction too as well and uh, and, and reshape the uh, the lenses. That's fascinating. Thanks for giving us the introduction of H3M there, Kurt. So I think we've heard a bit about now, I think the audience has a, a good idea about what your company does. Uh, I'd be interested to hearing what started you on this journey? What started you thinking about H3M and, and what issues were you trying to address? Well, uh, I think it is two distinct uh, things that made us start this company. This is my actually my second startup. The first one was about uh, building solutions that optimize the idle cash in ATMs and bank branches. I've been in with that enterprise for about eight, nine years. And at the end of today, you know, when I look back, it's a great, but what we did was, you know, uh, making people or companies who have a lot of money make even more money. So uh, this time around, uh, <laughs> when I started uh, this uh, company, H3M, in 2018, you know, uh, I wanted to utilize AI and new technologies, network analysis, in a sense, for a greater good. Now, after a quick search, especially in the financial domain, anti-money laundering and compliance came up because for me, and I think for anyone who is fighting financial crime, money laundering is like the enabler of all evil that we see. You know, whatever the evil is, it's human smuggling, it's um, like uh, drug money. You know, everything needs to go through money laundering in order to make that uh, kind of uh, activity profitable. So fighting that using AI and machine learning seems like a great opportunity for me uh, and for my colleagues in H3M. And it's a very satisfying thing every day when we come into work and you know we are using technology for the good guys. And it has like a small also personal thing that's uh, motivating me every day. Now this time around, I have a seven year old son and uh, he can easily explain what his dad is doing. Uh, at school. So uh, when they ask, he says, uh, my dad is building robots to fight evil. So that's the coolest that you can, you can get, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a, a good pat on the back there from the, from the, from the child there too. So that's good from your son. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating how that works. Uh, no, that's great to hear. It's, uh, I like to hear the need you're trying to solve. It's it's something that I think our listeners can certainly say is um, is something that's front of mind too as well. So um, we we are seeing that as a as, as a big issue too. So thanks for sharing. Um, so I'd like to talk about really when you started the business. So going back to when you founded it and for those those initial twelve to eighteen months when uh, when it was a, a fledgling idea that you were trying to grow here. I'd, I'd be curious to hear about what kind of challenges and barriers you, you faced in those early years and uh, how did you take steps to overcome these? Mm -hmm. Well, there were technical challenges and also there were uh, more, you know, business-wise challenges, of course. Technically, when we investigated the existing solutions, uh, we've seen uh, globally two major issues and the first one is like the traditional compliance systems and software are creating too much noise or too much work for the teams around the globe and there are huge hr costs for all the companies that try to comply on the other hand 
And this is mainly because, as you know, the false positives that are generated in the system. And on the other hand, according to UN, only 2% of the financial crime can be detected. And another 10% of that 2% can be sent to asset recovery. So we are basically recovering 0.2% of the financial uh, assets. Now, the challenge is, of course, to have a much better, much effective system, technically speaking. And from our end, the active learning technology, which is like AI asking questions to learn from the analysts, was a key in solving that problem. And how it works in a very simple way is, uh, if, if you've played the battleship game, it's quite similar to that. So traditionally, the machine learning models in this field are tuned from previous decisions of the analyst, right? So uh, for the last two years, they've been many thousands of alerts. Some have been reported to the financial intelligence units like FinTrack, and some have been cleared. Now, if you tune a system, if you tune an AI model from that data, the only thing that you can find is what's already labeled there. So you cannot teach AI what you don't know at the moment. The nice thing about the system, the technical solution we worked in the first year of the company was implementing this active learning technology. So it is searching the millions of transactions and customers and tries to identify anomalies, but not just anomalies, but anomalies that could lead to have better models like up and coming typologies. You know, uh, the criminals, they're finding new ways of laundering every day. So it's basically searching the space and having some discussions and questions back and forth with the ML analyst and detecting novel suspicious activity. So that was the key thing uh, that actually helped us to improve the efficiency or the detection performance of the systems. Now, that was the technical point. The other challenge was actually the business-wise challenge. Because even though the current systems are not very effective, people are used to that. Companies are used to that. You know, that's most of the companies view the compliance as a checkbox. You know, we have the systems in place. We have well-known global name brands in place. And as long as we have them and, you know, we are analyzing every single alert on time, we are doing fine. But in real life, actually, it's not the case. Now, you can have all those systems, but you may not have a good compliance systems. And the big challenge was to find some visionary initial clients that want to do more than just checking the boxes. So they wanted to improve the system, not because the uh, financial intelligence unit forced them to apply AI, but because they wanted to have a more meaningful approach, as something useful at the end of the day. And it really increased, once we find out those clients, it really increased the employee engagement as well. You know, because people want to be doing, you know, meaningful jobs. So mm -hmm. 
that was quite important. And lastly, when you're building a machine learning or any kind of solution in compliance, you have to do it some kind of in-house with some partners because you need data and there is no like uh, viable sandbox at the moment globally provided by banks or uh, financial intelligence unit. So the, the last challenge was actually working together, you know, very closely with that bank so that we can together work on the data and build the solution. So that's actually how our first, you know, 12 to 16 months of the company uh, was passed. Got it, got it. So it sounds like yeah, there was there was technical issues which were were overcome, and I'm sure the the partnership issues you were discussing, in some ways, were linked to the technical issues because that's one of the <laughs> ways in which you're able to build up the uh, the database too as well for the learning. So it's 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 they're they're disconnected but connected at the same time, right? So that's uh, yeah. that's interesting. That's no, it's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Um, now I know typically for early stage companies, I know you're a bit past that now, but early stage companies have, um, we'll say challenges in financing their uh, initiatives and uh, building a, a runway at least um, from uh, from the, the early stages. I'd be curious how you funded the business so far in these initial stages and, uh, and, and really has, has your approach changed as you've, you've managed to grow the business or, or, or what are you looking at? Yeah, so at these initial stages, uh, we identified some, you know, visionary financial institutions who wanted to make a change, and they actually funded our projects so that together we can build an AI-based system that works hand-in-hand -hand with their existing systems or replace them. So it was more like uh, custom development projects, but we tried to adjust them so that we go through the path of productization. So each you know, custom development project was actually a stepping stone in building the final Croton software platform. Now, of course, that has both advantages and disadvantages. And advantages is that you shape the solution to the needs of the market. But since you cannot do custom projects with every single client, you are kind of leaning to your existing client needs in terms of functionality. So initially, uh, our first few customers funded our growth and we built the core platform. Now, this is changing bit by bit every day because now we have a core product and we want to build it to an enterprise level that is applicable globally, and you cannot do it by custom development projects. Uh, now, we have a few things going on, but we are hoping to uh, perhaps raise an investments uh, in less than a year, and we have ongoing discussions so that uh, we can really focus on productization and making a great product for any financial institution uh, that can use these solutions globally. Got it. So it was more of a, it was less so a um, uh, a CVC, uh, uh, a corporate venture capital arm of a bank and in investing in you. It was more so um, let's 
work together to develop a product that fits mm -hmm. our need is is that what is that yeah, the way you'd phrase yeah, it yeah exactly okay. exactly and we didn't have any funding yet so we are self funded mm. and uh, probably will go through series a directly passing the you know intermediate steps in between no, that's great. And I think that tells the uh, our listeners really some value in, in forming those early stage partnerships. I think obviously uh, you mentioned it. It limits um, how many parties you can engage in the, in the initial stages. But when you've got a strong partnership, um, it will help in the long run by allowing you to develop a product that is tailored for the needs of one client, but mm -hmm. obviously will meet the needs of others too as well. So um, mm -hmm there's uh there's benefits and sacrifices with whichever direction you go in so that's uh that's fascinating um i know you've touched on this a bit too but I, i'd like to listen a bit more about your customer acquisition strategy um and really the main thing we i'd love to hear about is is how it's changed from those early stages of, of you looking for these mm -hmm. initial partnerships to to now where you've proven it, you've proven the MVP, you've proven mm -hmm. the product works with with clients and and how that's changed. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, initially it was like finding visionary customers and, you know, convincing them uh, to work together. Now that we have a working and proven product, so our approach is relatively much simpler now. And we go to a potential customer client and we say that, look, we have this uh, very straightforward proposal for you. We can do a quick pilot. It's like three to four months. And during this pilot, we can show you four things. First, we'll take a sample month, let's say, and we'll show you that for that specific month in the past, if you utilized our AI-based systems, you would have, let's say, 50% less false positives without missing any meaningful true positives and suspicious activity. And you'll see that for that month. Second, we will identify 500 suspicious cases that your existing solution, existing system, were not able to detect, which is only visible to AI-based system that we have. So we'll give you that list. Third, we will identify five suspicious networks. So these are suspicious entities working together to launder money or uh, finance terrorism or whatever the illegal activity is. But you'll probably detect it, a few of them here and there. Different analysts probably detected them. But we'll show you the whole picture. So instead of uh, let's say killing the flies will show you how to get rid of the swamp and we'll show you like five sample networks that you were not aware of and four we'll show you a dark money flow from one money coming into the institution and let's say doing 10 hops and going out of the institution with just plus five plus minus five percent changes along the way so in this like three, four month period, we will prove with these four different use cases. And if you like them, if you like the outputs, then uh, you know we'll install the rest of the software and 
you can keep on using that. So it's really now uh, since it's a proven product and you know we strongly believe in our outputs, we put this very standard way of doing a pilot uh, with a financial institution and people believe it when they see it. So uh, I think it's finding a good uh, narrative in the market. Got it. So it's a bit of a, a sample of the success they can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 still a level of provability that the solution works and also provability that there's a, a need that needs to be filled. So that's uh, that does make sense to me. Great. Well, I I wanna I wanna finish it off, uh, uh, Tolga, with a, a question I have as well. I'm I'm curious because this industry is is fascinating. I'm curious to hear about what you see as the biggest challenges your industry faces over the next uh, five years. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, Myron. I believe you know there's also of course a couple of different uh, challenges, but I think the most important challenge from the perspective of the good guys, of course, and it's an opportunity from the perspective of the bad guys, is information movement and information sharing between different institutions and different uh, countries and jurisdictions. Now, the problem is, you know, as people have seen from uh, Panama leaks and, you know, various kind of Pandora papers, um, FinCEN leaks, dark money is moving across the institutions and across the jurisdictions in in some cases like 10, 15 hops. And they are using this international and multi-jurisdiction structure. But when we come to the detection process, there are some major roadblocks between these uh, information sharing structures in order to detect crime. Now, for example, financial institutions, they report these STR and SAR reports to the FIUs, but they don't get a feedback from them. So, for example, they don't know uh, which reports were actually of much higher quality and which of them led to detection of crime. They're just reporting that as an information. And the problem with that is, without this feedback, especially systems using AI, having a hard time to improve themselves. So then what is suspicious is now up to the financial institutions. But if they received like a feedback in the loop, then they could have a much better system. And you know they know they would know that they are in the right path. Or for example, institutions currently they cannot share any information with respect to clients in between them so every institution needs to do their kyc analysis and onboarding analysis by themselves now on the other hand these information related to for example products used by the customers and other information are different in different institutions so if there were to be a system by preserving the uh, customer uh, privacy but at the same time helping a global kyc uh, system information it would really make it easier to fight crime and in a similar fashion like each jurisdiction 
tries to detect money laundering on their own. But once the money leaves the country, either through SWIFT transfers or cryptocurrencies and emerges in another country, it is really too hard to track. So again, with the new technologies like uh, blockchain and you know distributed ledgers, and there are ways of doing privacy preserving information sharing to detect crime. And I think we need a more collaborative and information sharing approach, both between financial institutions and jurisdictions. There are a few examples. For example, in Netherlands, a couple of banks came together, you know, to detect crime together. And mm -hmm. in Italy, uh, as you might know, for many years, uh, the central bank is gathering all the transactions from different financial institutions to detect crime. So there are some initiatives. But I think in the overall picture, uh, we, the good guys, are much slower in cooperating uh, than, you know, people who try to launder the money over multiple uh, firms and jurisdictions. Got it. Got it. So it's it's really a focus on information sharing. And I think that's 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 critical too, is to, to solve it. It's a global issue. And without global mm -hmm. uh, engagement, we're not going to be able to to solve it. No, this has been uh, this has been great, Tolga. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, a pleasure chatting with you, and I'm sure our listeners uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much, Mike. Wonderful. And uh, and for all of the listeners here today, um, if you're not already signed up, please do uh, check out the CRTA website. We have uh, uh, a lot of good materials and podcasts and videos being re uh, released. We also have a number of uh, events that do take place in Canada. Um, so we'd love to see you uh, at those two as well. Um, anyway, to the listeners, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks.